gave her life to Christ, Bible's words and mine, and she was united with him. She was clothed with him. She found a new life and she has become a new creation. And when Morgan was, was talking about it, Morgan made the comment that it was a number of years before, before today that she began to ask questions and began to realize this is a big deal. It is. We've had a couple of baptisms the last few weeks and, and we keep drawing our attention to this. It is, so, it is so important that the body of Christ sees faith come to life. It sees people putting their trust in Jesus. And that's one expression of that. But that's not all you missed. You also missed the opportunity for a number of families to stand before the fellowship and say, look what God gave us. It's baby dedication day. Look what God gave us. And, and, and most people, I was sitting over here when the pictures go up on the screen and um, there was a lady that sat behind me that went, oh, she is so cute. Sure, they are. But there's so much more than that, isn't there? These families stood there and, and made a pledge. They pledged that they would raise this child. Deuteronomy 6 was read over us. This, this teach your children. Like talk about God, like when you're having supper and uh, when you go walk around Boomer Lake. Like make sure that on the way to soccer practice and on the way to another dance recital that you have conversations about who God is and what God has done. And these families vowed before God and us that they would raise their kids like that. It's always more complicated, isn't it? Than just standing on a stage and doing it. But they did. And, and then, as, as Beth, um, our uh, treehouse director, minister, as she was describing it, she then turned to us and said, do you promise that you will be actively involved in this? If so, say we do. Now, I'll, I'll let the parents know, but if you choose that, because it's, it's not just first service people. I think what Bethany was, was intending was the entire Sunnybrook family. So if you want to help these families and come alongside these families so that they don't have to do not just Deuteronomy 6, but life with Jesus by themselves. If you want to come alongside them, will you say, we will? We will? Yeah, I'll, I'll let them know, by the way. But it was, it was, it was, it was special. Because what we're doing isn't easy, it's hard. And a life following Jesus is full of twists and turns. And we're in the middle of this very short series, which is um, intended by us to hear the words of Christ, the last-ish words of Christ. We're focusing on some final statements that he made. And last week we talked about some of the final words that he gave to the crowds. And today we're looking at some of the final words that he gave to, it says the disciples, it really it's, it's his disciples. The 12, maybe a little more than the 12, but those who have decided a disciple is someone who, who volunteers, who comes along and 
commits to have their lives completely redone in the image of the one that they're following. That's what it means to be a disciple. I, I know that there are churches that love to talk about like categories of different kinds of disciples. There are disciples and then there are believers and then there, yeah, that's a modern invention. Jesus has followers and those who don't follow. It's not like 12 categories. There's followers and then there's those who don't follow. Jesus is now speaking to them. We are going to be in Luke chapter 20, and it's just basically a few short verses, beginning in verse 45 is where we're going to begin. But I want to just give you a heads up, because last week he spoke to the crowds, and he was describing a brokenness that existed in the masses, and he wanted to give them a heads up. He said this, essentially it's going to be really easy for you to say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, but I know what's going to happen down the road. And crucify him is just not too far from your lips. And he exposes in the crowd um, a spiritual duplicity that exists with others. And that, that's hard for, um, it's why I kind of like it when Jesus does it to the crowds because then I know he's really not talking to me. He's talking to the crowds. And, and most people in crowds feel like they're the exception. Like that's us. When we're in a crowd and somebody's talking about crowds, we feel like we're the exception. Be careful of a spiritual duplicity. Because he warns against it. He warns of judgment that comes. The kind of spiritual duplicity that goes this far. That you live your life any way that you want. I mean, you may occasionally feel bad for what you've, did, you've done, but not bad enough to truly repent and come to a level of brokenness and submission and transformation. But, but you still go to, to synagogue or to the temple. For us, you still come to church. You just can't tell, and nobody can tell. The level of spiritual duplicity with others is shocking. I'm sure you've heard that one of the biggest obstacles that a lot of people have with the church is that it's full of... So you've heard. Okay, good. I thought maybe I was the only one that knew that. No, it's actually commonly known. And what are they talking about there? Here's what they're talking about. They're not talking about, well, I just know people, and generally speaking, how many people are out at Sunnybrook? Oh yeah, there's got to be people there that are, they're not doing that. It's not the, the law of large numbers where I just, I know that out of that many people, there's got to be a few, and I'm really afraid of hypocrites. No, I've had people talk about specific people who are a part of this fellowship, and it really concerns them. They, they, don't worry, they, they don't give names. So not like we can actually even help the situation. They don't give names. Don't know how interested they are in helping the situation. We don't give names. But in the end, they, they're talking about real people that are living a double life. Not someone struggling, someone who's a hypocrite. And Jesus says, be careful. Because that will bring judgment. So glad I'm not part of the crowd. Okay, are you ready for this? Then he starts talking to his own disciples and he gives another warning. The last few days of Jesus' life are full of them. 
And, and by the way, we'll even see how like the warnings aren't, hey, by the way, I totally forgot to tell you guys about this. Have I told you about hell? Have I told you about judgment? No, no, he's been talking about it from the very beginning. But in this one, to probably the most of us, the majority of us, his disciples, he gives a warning against a spiritual duplicity that exists within ourselves. At least the hypocrite is clearly recognized. The one that is not even interested in following Jesus, who it is just easily obvious that it's a joke to him or her. At least, I'm not going to get duped, I'm not going to get confused. You really, you're kind of heartbroken, but not the same way when, when someone... This, this isn't like a, this is a wolf in wolf's clothing. A hypocrite, right? Like, for the most part, like, nobody's fooling anyone. And then he moves here, and he says, I want to talk to those of you disciples, and I want to talk about a level of spiritual duplicity that exists within you that um, maybe nobody sees. Talk about moving to Medlin. He gets right up in your, your private email, you know? Like he's reading the text you delete. The history you don't want anybody to see. And, and maybe even, and this is the part that I find most interesting about Jesus, he begins to describe and to talk about something that I might not even be aware of. Now that's a whole new level of preaching. When all of a sudden you're preaching to the me that I don't even think I saw that in me until you said something, Jesus. That's this text. Luke chapter 20, verse 45. It's interesting, the context of this. It's, Luke records this. And in the hearing of all the people, notice that, and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, I love paying attention with the words that we just kind of read over quickly. I'm not trying to, wow, that's a really interesting point. No, it's actually very obvious. In the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, my mentor, so creative when he speaks. It was a wedding, and he had the opportunity to face this way so he could talk to the bride and the groom. And he gets up there, and before he does, he stops and he turns around and he says, excuse me, I, I know that it's rude to turn my back to you, but the truth is, I'm here for them. And I'm going to spend a few moments talking with them about their marriage and about their commitment to one another, but you're not here by accident. And so I would like for you to have ears to overhear what I'm going to say to them. Will you join me in that? Isn't he creative? And, and not only that, but when they leave here, and they are the ones that invited you, I think they're inviting you into their lives after they leave here, kind of like a little girl that gives her life to Jesus Christ and invites, their family invites the family to help raise her. It's like moms and dads standing on a stage on baby dedication day and making vows and us making, it's kind of like that. And so he said, so I want you to have ears to overhear so that you can, in their life's journey together, remind them of this day. And encourage them so that they can stay faithful to the end. 
And now if you'll excuse me. And he just continued, and I just thought, that was awesome. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, in a way, is, is letting the disciples and the crowds know what's at stake. Jesus speaks rather boldly. Doesn't know a lot about the concept of confidentiality, I guess. And he's willing to say to these disciples, hey, your lives are going to be lived out in front of all of these people. You'll be known as church leaders. And you're not going to be able to hide away from that. Therefore, and he's saying to the people, you know, I, I want you to have ears to overhear because I'm, I'm speaking with my disciples and they're taking a very specific charge and some rather um, lofty and complicated dedication to me. And I, I want you to hear what I'm saying to them so you'll kind of know how to hold them accountable. Jesus really lived his life like in front of others and challenged his believers, his followers, his disciples to do the same. And it's in that context that he speaks the rest of Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through 47, beginning in verse 46. It begins like this. Beware. Warning. Be careful. What, 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 what is so dangerous about this? This is what he says. Beware of the scribes. Those are, the scribes is a, is a word that can usually be understood as like, those are the, the, the religious legal, religious lawyers for, for Israel. The scribes, some translations, not, not here specifically, but when you see that word scribes, it's usually associated with the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and literally, probably best translated, it would be the scribes, namely the Pharisees. When you see scribes and it's not two groups of people, it's these religious leaders who follow this way of religious thinking, the Pharisees. Their name means the separate ones. Because religion does that. It separates us. Oh, are you Muslim? Oh, okay, then you'll go over here. Oh, are you Christian? Okay, well, you'll go over here. Okay, are you Hindu? Okay, you'll go over here. So religion just naturally does that. The scribes, namely the Pharisees, those people who are religiously devoted and dedicated to understanding the law and then being faithful to the law, Jesus says, you've got to watch out for people like that. Yeah, I, I would need him to tell me that. Because even recently, when, when we went to Israel, this is me walking up to the Western Wall. Wow, they are so religious. That is so awesome. And they've got a leather band that goes all the way around their arm. And then like a box on their wrist where they have bound God's word to their arm, like the Bible says. And a strap around their head and a box right here that kind of sticks. I know it looks strange. I thought it looked kind of cool. I said to Uri a couple, time, a couple years ago when I was there, I think I want one of those. Like, I don't know where I'll wear it or even if I'll wear it. I would really like one. He said, I can take you to a place. We went to the place, and he showed me them, and I think they started at about $1,500. And I said, yeah, I don't know if I want one that bad. Maybe I'll take apart my baseball glove and make my own. I don't know, but 
But I, I was, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I just, I, I liked seeing, there was something attractive about it, the, the little tassels off their pants. Kind of symbolizing, like their devotion to Yahweh. They won't even say that name. There's something that is incredibly attractive about that. I understand why even Christian people are drawn to that kind of religious... I mean, I know it bothers a lot of people. Actually, I'm one of those people that's drawn to that. Are you drawn to that? I'm drawn to that. Jesus knows that, not just about me, but about people that follow him. So he says, "I, I need you to be careful. See, like, my mom didn't need to tell me be really careful about, and then kind of list all the really, really bad things. I, I kind of even knew that as much as I might have a temptation, yeah, I don't think that one's going to get me. Because it's so obviously evil. And here Jesus says, like, beware of, it doesn't say beware of meth. Beware of pornography. Beware of mass murdering. We almost don't even need those bewares, do we? But beware of really devoted religious people. Be very aware of them. And be careful. Be careful because they, they seduce at a very intimate level. What, 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 how does he describe these religious people? And this is what's kind of interesting because we know it's a matter of the heart. Well, look at their heart, who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace. That word for greetings, sometimes it can just be used like when Mary um, and Elizabeth have a conversation. There's a greeting. Oh, Mary. And they talk about how wonderful Mary is. Blessed are you among There's that formal word for greeting. And they love, they love the look and they love the greeting. Hello, doctor. Hello, doctor. How are you, doctor? I'm fine, doctor. Do you kids call your doctor? Oh, yeah, because I'm a doctor. I, and I, I see it like with, hello, pastor. People have this like obsession about calling me pastor. Like, I need to let my mom know. I thought my name was James. Actually, my, my name is, pa- my mom calls me Jimmy. It's Pastor Jimmy, mother. They love the greetings in the marketplaces and who wouldn't want the best seats in the synagogue right up close and the places of honor at feasts. And and by the way, you might not have them, but you know how to look around and wish you did. So maybe you're not sitting there, but the envy's the same. You're honest. Have you seen those parking spots? Those people in those yellow jackets standing out front of... uh, Gallagher Iba, and you're not allowed in there. You just drive by like a loser. I'm gonna go park at Panera illegally, you know? <laughs> and then verse 47, who devour widows' houses. What do you mean? Can we're, I, how, they're devouring widows' houses? You know, we don't really know exactly what he's referring to, but we do know that Jesus talks about just the warning that people have about playing religious games to protect inheritances so that those who need it the most, like your mother who's a widow, you don't want to give that to her, and so you 
declare Corbin so that you will give it literally a fancy word. So it's devoted to God. I can't give it to you. I also can't help but think, and I doubt if things are different, that religious people seem to have this amazing ability to take advantage of those who are less fortunate. That's why I'm glad to know that we're a church that tries to help those who are less fortunate and not take advantage of them. Can't help but think this whole thing is happening in the context of a widow giving very generously. These clowns over here, the scribes, namely the Pharisees, who are really impressed with themselves, actually will use their religiosity to take advantage of widows who actually have needs that should be cared for and instead they're taking advantage of them. And for a pretense, literally that word means to make an appearance, but there's nothing inside. As Jesus says, a whitewashed tomb, you're full of dead bones. And he's not just saying that like, and you're spiritually dead. He's talking about like ceremonially unclean. Like if someone gets around you, they're polluted spiritually. That's what he's describing here. You have a pretense for making long prayers. But you're not talking to God. You're wanting everybody else to hear. And I don't think you have any idea that you should be going this direction. And then it says, they will receive greater condemnation. I find it fascinating that people dealing with this text go, well, I know what he's not talking about. Really? Like, he is talking about a greater condemnation. I looked in the Greek. It literally means greater condemnation. Like, he's given a real warning. A warning that religious people try to avoid or not pay attention to. It's like last week, okay, good, I'm glad I'm not a hypocrite. And honestly, most of us aren't the kind of hypocrite that is living a completely disconnected life from Monday to Saturday and then Sunday. The majority of people that I know and that I work with and that I love and that I'm a leader here at the church with, like our problem isn't that we're out at our meth house on the side. It's not that we're human trafficking on Thursdays. That's not our problem. Our problem is, is that we are so used to doing religious things that sometimes we can become inoculated from the messages that we're speaking. It's so interesting. I, I just, this, this text is so powerful and real. I, I, I'm part of at least a, a network of, 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 of other pastors and whenever they have a gathering, it's just amazing how we love to. I want to now introduce Jim Johnson, who's a pastor of a large church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And we literally, it's, I, I can just feel like this text just crawling out of me. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want that introduction anymore. Like, I do. I feel genuinely a little nervous when people call me Pastor Jim. No, actually, you can call me Jim. Jesus even warns against like loving that kind of stuff. And you might say, oh, Jim, you're, you're taking this text too seriously. Yeah, that's because I looked at the first word and it said, beware. And I'm not, I'm not normally a guy that pays attention, to be honest with you. Right, on. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 23, he says something very similar. Notice how similar this is. Different context, by the way. And then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, 
The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, meaning that they are, like they're, they're speaking in essence, in essence, like not, not for Moses, but for, for what Moses had, been, had received from God, the law. So they're speaking from that seat of authority. And Jesus is a big fan of authority. Jesus actually says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, the words of Moses, but I came to fulfill them. So he's not some kind of renegade child from the 60s. He might have had long hair, but that was about it. Everything else, kind of a really serious rule follower, especially when it was God's rules. And so he says to the crowds and to the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. Notice, the, whatever they tell you, you need to do it, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. So he warns about that kind of religious hypocrisy. For they preach, but they don't practice. Here he's taking it one step further. But they practice, and, and they're, I, I, think, I, think, I, don't, I don't think I'm off when I say this. Like, I think they're self-deceived. I don't think that they're like, oh yeah, by the way, we don't believe any of this God stuff. I think they totally believe it. They're just using it for their own advantage. They're not the kind of hypocrite that is easily recognizable that you would see in, say, Jeremiah 7, who are taking total advantage all the time. No, there are some of these religious leaders that look really, really good to everybody and even to the disciples. And so Jesus says, I need to put a beware sign here because you're going to so want to do this. That's what he's saying to us this morning. Be very careful of wanting to do your religious things in front of others. Be very, very careful of being satisfied with your own spiritual convictions and commitment. Because it creeps into all of us. The amount of spiritual pride and spiritual arrogance. Like it's one thing to have the danger of being on the stage. Be careful, people who are going to lead us in worship later. Be careful that the worship that you do is genuine. Be careful that you don't just worship like that when you're leading on the stage, but you worship like that all the time. But by the way, it's probably not any different to go, I am so not like them. Like I'm so much more together than they are. And I would never, I would never act like that. Oh wow, that's not arrogant at all. That's not proud at all. I know a lot of people that struggle with a form of this on the back row as much as the stage. Jesus says to all of his disciples, beware. He says it actually in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness at whatever level you have it, by the way. Not those of you that are the most righteous, but be careful of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He says this in the earliest part of his ministry. This is a constant theme. Be careful, be careful, be careful of being really religious. Like I understand why some people go, yeah, that's why I don't pray publicly. That's why I don't give publicly or privately. That's why I don't fast because it's just easier. Now that's just called disobedience. That's not called easier. It's just called quitting. Now Jesus says, 
pray and then pray like this. Jesus says, like, fast, but fast like this. Jesus says, I want you to, to, to give, but you give like this. Like, you can't get out of the game, Jesus is wanting people to know. It's not a game. So why do we need to be aware? I think, number one, we really need to be aware when we're too aware of others. Be really, really careful of being so aware of everybody else. And it's interesting how deeply that begins to affect us. If anything, we're just really, really aware of everybody else in the room. And so it begins to kind of shape how we act and react and how we respond. So let's take communion. Man, I, there's some stuff. Not, not, that I have had, not that I've sinned this week. That's always going to be something that I'm wrestling with. But there's some real duplicity in my heart. There's some real anger in my heart. I don't know if I should go, I don't know if I should go forward. But wow, they picked one of those Sundays again two weeks in a row. Actually, we're doing it again next week. Three weeks in a row. It's just going to be weird. You know what? It's just communion. I'm just going to take it. Why? Well, you know, I just don't want to answer the question. Oh, okay. So you'll just carelessly eat the body and the bread of Christ. Guarantee you, there's lots of us that have wrestled with that. I don't know, but everybody's looking. I don't want to be the one who we are so aware of others. Now, by the way, the answer isn't, I've heard people say this, just act like nobody else is in the room. Well, but that would be dumb. Because there's lots of people in the room. Like, that, that makes no sense to act as though nobody else is in the room. It, I couldn't do that. It doesn't make sense. What Jesus says is, you are going to have a tendency, Jim, to act a certain way because you're aware of everybody else. You're so aware of others. And I'd love to be honest about what's kind of going on in my life and some of the struggles that I've had, but I'm just so aware of you and what you might think. Hold it together. And then that holding it together begins to creep into those areas where you can have a real opportunity to share what Jesus has done in your life. But the problem is, is what he has done in your life, probably you shouldn't have had that. And so now you're so aware of this person you're trying to share the gospel with, you're doing that in such a way where it's not even the real you presenting anything. It's some caricature of you. Because you've taken the struggles that you're going through. You're so aware of the person right in front of you that now you're projecting upon them someone who's not even you. But, but hear me, I believe, I believe you're doing that with the best intentions. Like I think you're doing it because if they knew the truth about me, that would make me look more like a hypocrite. So I'm just going to shut down. And just falsely project a kind of spirituality that doesn't even exist. That's different than a hypocrite. Jesus says you really got to be careful doing that. Really be careful. Projecting something that's not real. You'll begin to believe it. You'll begin to believe. Like once you get used to putting a 
literally this facade in front of others, you'll forget where that facade ends. So I said to my boys, growing up, but not just here, even back when I was teaching at the college, if the, if the guy that's at home, my wife knows this, if the guy that's at home is different than the guy that's speaking, like you need to get help because that's a dangerous thing because I took this, like the first word is beware. See, what I, going back and thinking about it, I didn't think the boys were gonna go, yeah, dad's a complete hypocrite. I wasn't just worried that they would see this <laughs> kind of duplicity. I wanted them, like they know, my wife knows me. And I, I hope like those that are closest to me know me. And then I begin to think, like maybe, maybe like a lot of people really need to know me. Like maybe some of the games that I play, especially with those who don't yet know Jesus, maybe I'm not doing a service at all by pretending I have it. Maybe like what they need to see is not that I've always had it together, but maybe they need to see what real repentance and forgiveness and re restoration looks like. By the way, which doesn't mean I just share everything all the time, just roll up the sleeves and bleh, throw up all the... No, discernment is always a part of it. But I, I, I know how to play the game. So aware of others. Actually, really, it's not that others, I mean, others are the context, but really the problem is, is that I'm too focused on, we're, we're too focused on ourselves. Jesus, be aware of being so focused on ourselves. I like wearing the long robes. I love, 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 love the greetings in the marketplace. Like, that's why I care so much about Sunnybrook and like what it says about me as a pastor or me as a Christian. Maybe that's why I'm so concerned when my kids fail because I don't want anybody to think that somehow I'm, I am. I'm too focused on myself. And Jesus says, that's where then there's a problem. When you're too focused on yourself. But when we say that, in a little while, I begin to realize, wow, I'm so focused on myself. This is what happens when people who become so self-obsessed, they literally begin to not know themselves. Like they can't even see it. Can you tell that you're the only one you talk about? Can you tell that all of these things that you do and all the help that you offer really is about yourself? It is not. It's always for everybody else. I never think about myself. The other day, I wasn't thinking about myself at all. Here's what I did. I was only thinking about others as I was, and you're like, wow, you just said you like 50 times. Like we become so naive about ourselves that we don't even know how to ask the question, why do I want to do this? Why do I want to? I'm not trying to paralyze us. I'm trying to take the words of Jesus honestly. The words of Jesus where the gospel frees us but our own self-centeredness constricts us. Where the gospel says, let's share the good news about who Jesus Christ is. And our selfishness, so yeah, so we can really be a help to people. That back and forth and back and forth. And Jesus says, be careful. Now ultimately, all of this comes down to that final beware. Beware that you're too unaware of God. 
It begins by others, but then we realize well, the only reason why we see others is so we can think about ourselves, and that causes us to go deep inside of ourselves until we don't even know ourselves anymore. We don't even realize our hearts. And then the biggest problem is, if we're going to be brutally honest, is like I'm completely unaware. Like I, I'm, I'm here to preach to you, and I totally forget that God is listening. Like you're here trying to figure out whether or not you're going to take communion because of somebody else, and you're not even paying attention that God is watching. Like, you stand in front of a room full of people, and I'm going to raise this baby in the fear and admonition of the Lord, aware, not aware, in the baptistry, aware, not really aware, completely unaware. And that's when Jesus says, be careful. And, and he really does. He gives like an opportunity for the gospel to come in and to speak truth. See, the gospel comes in and speaks the truth about our brokenness and about his redemption. The gospel speaks the truth about us. The gospel is what brings authenticity and genuineness. The gospel is what confronts our hypocrisy. The gospel confronts the reason why we're on the stage or why we'll never be on the stage. The gospel confronts why we pray or why we don't pray. The gospel frees us. For all of a sudden, I know that I have peace with God. And now all of a sudden, I can tell you rather boldly about my struggles and my successes. And I'm always aware that this isn't something, when we were talking about it in our staff meeting, one of our staff people asked, and I won't say who it is, because Morgan hates it when I use her as an example. And, I, and God bless her heart. I love Morgan's just desire to get, I want to just get over this hurdle. And she kind of asked that very honest question, how can we just get over this? And we kind of looked at her, and I, I guess maybe because I'm like, you know, five times her age now or whatever I am, and I just looked at her and I said, I know, I get what you're asking. I don't think we'll ever get over this. I think this is something we always need to be aware of. And what stands in the balance God's glory, others benefit, those who don't know Christ and those who do, and even our joy. Self-religious, deceived pretenders, which aren't very joyful people. Jesus offers not just this warning, but he offers this awareness to his disciples and say, there's got to be a better way to love me. There's got to be a better way to follow me. Do you trust me with the, with the brokenness in you? Do you trust me to provide a context of love? and a pre Do you trust me with like the truth about how I am so you don't have to pretend when you're witnessing and sharing the gospel with others? You can be amazingly, discerningly honest about yourself. And I got this. Isn't that free? Doesn't that allow you to be aware that sure there are others in the room, but God's the most important? Sure, I'm working through things, but God's going to work through me. That is the power and the value of the gospel. Right. And so, God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to not line up with where hypocrites are and what hypocrites do but under the peace and the goodness of Jesus.
And so, God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to love you and respond to you. And I pray that, Father, as we gather around the table, that we would love you well. Father, so lead us and help us. Father, I ask that your, your grace would come upon us, that we would feel increasingly comfortable in our own skin. That, Father, as we spend some time just singing, eating and drinking together, may we do so with joy. Because we are yours and you are ours. Everything else finds its purpose and its meaning there. In Jesus' name we humbly pray.